everybody, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I have been writing about uh, my life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety seven years ago. And uh, you can hear my story there, and then I invite you to tell your stories here. Well, getting sober can be challenging under the best of circumstances, but some cultures are so strongly alcogenic, to borrow a term from Ann Delsett Johnson's drink, that it's hard to find the support to build the kind of recovery community that really supports and nurtures life after alcohol. Today's guest, Breed McGill, joins us from Ireland, and she can attest to feeling isolated in recovery, but she's doing things to change that. Please welcome this lovely young wife and mother of two sweet little children in Ireland. Hi, Breed. How are you? Hi, Jean. I'm brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be on the Bubble Hour. I, oh, I love how you say Bubble Hour. It's so great. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, like we like have I had off air, I'm going to... Sorry. Go ahead. No, I just said, like I said off air, I'm going to try and talk slowly because I, I am aware that people might not be able to understand my thick Midlands Irish accent. <laughs> it's so beautiful, Breed. And I've had the joy of meeting you in person. And so I can put uh, your face to your voice as well. And so I just want our listeners to know that this is just a bright eyed, lovely young woman who's just you you just put so much joy in your recovery that I'm really happy that you're here with us today because um, I I know it isn't easy, but it's something that's important to you. And so I'm really happy that you're going to talk about that and talk about the ways that you'd like to see things change in your community and in your homeland. Um, so we have lots to get to. Um, and I know also something else we should talk about is is uh, that we met in New York at the She Recovers conference last year, and that that was quite a tremendous experience for mm-hmm. both of us as well as everyone in attendance. Um, but before mm-hmm. we get to all of that, let's um, just start with you telling us a bit about yourself and about your journey before and after recovery. Of course, yeah. So I'll start from the beginning. Um, I started drinking in my early teens, which, you know, isn't unusual, or at least it wouldn't be unusual here in Ireland. Um, from pretty much the very beginning, I was a blackout drinker. Not every time, but more often than not, I would blackout. Uh, but, you know, that kind of can be the way that teenagers drink anyway. So I didn't really stand out for most of my teenage years. You know, teenagers, they drink too much and sometimes they get sick, sometimes they black out. So... There was nobody really pointing any fingers during my teenage years. It was really towards kind of the late teens, early 20s when things started to go a little bit wrong for me. I suppose I started to have more freedom and started to live away from home. And particularly actually in my early 20s when I bought my first house and was living on my own, that's when things started to get a little bit... Um, I just started to pay attention a bit more, I suppose. I started to drink more at home and you know, wine became a thing. Um, I should probably say I was a, a, a in my late teens, early 20s at a time when Ireland was going through a really, um, our, our economy was booming. So I had always had a job. I always had loads of disposable income. And it was kind of, from my memory, I think it was around that, you know, Sex in the City, Bridget Jones type time. And I suppose it just became a thing to drink wine at home. But what I probably didn't realise at the time was, 
that I was drinking a lot more wine at home, I think, than other people were. Um, and I didn't realize how dependent I was coming, becoming on it. Um, I think it was just after my 21st birthday, birthday when I realized that you know, it was problematic for me. I suppose a typical week would have looked like I would have tried not to drink until Thursday, but sometimes it would have started on Wednesday. But say on a normal week, Thursday night, I'd have been maybe getting ready for the weekend, maybe doing tan or nails or whatever, and I would have a bottle of wine usually. Sometimes more, um, sometimes I would top up a bottle of wine with a couple of, of um, vodka and coke. And then, but that didn't, it didn't knock a thing out of me. I could get up and work away on Friday. I was, you know, fit and healthy and active the whole time. Um, but Friday night would come around and it would be more wine again because maybe the girls might call up and we'd, we'd drink a bottle. Or it would definitely be more of a bottle, more than one bottle then. Um, Saturday night then would be maybe going out with the girls. It could start with wine in the house, move on to whatever we'd have when we go out, vodka or something like that. And then there would always be shots. And, and inevitably, an, a night out would, would end up in either a grey out, which is what I call when you can't remember parts of the night or it's vague or else it would be a full-on blackout and there were times when I lost you know hours of my night and I'm, I'm just I'm one thing I'm very grateful that I you know I never got in any major trouble but you know it could have been a lot worse um and it was yeah after my 21st birthday I kind of basically when I would have those sort of nights I would have two to three days of massive anxiety afterwards um and I looking back now I know that I wasn't living in the way that I, you know, I wasn't living um, with my own, within my own values. So I would have two or three days of terrible anxiety and swear that I would drink less or, you know, sometimes I'd even go as far as say I'm never drinking again. But inevitably by Wednesday or Thursday, I was back, back at the races again. So after my 21st birthday, I admitted for the first time to other people that it was a problem for me. Um, I'll go back a little bit. I grew up in a house where my father has been uh, heavily dependent on alcohol until I was four years of age. And luckily for our family, he went into recovery when I was four. And he has been successfully in long-term recovery now for 27, 28 years. But, uh, so I knew, and he was very open about his, recovery. I mean, it was never a secret in our house that he had, you know, we, we had visited him when he was in um, in the treatment centre that he went to. So it was never a secret and it was always something that he kind of made us aware that we needed to be careful about. So I knew I could go to him when I was having problems. And actually when I did, he, he more or less admitted that he was recognising it in me. Um, and at that time, I decided that I was going to quit drinking. And I went to see a friend of his who was a, an a addiction counsellor and I talked to him but um, I suppose looking back I was only 21 I just couldn't see how my future would be without alcohol like you said in, in the introduction there Ireland is just absolutely steeped in alcohol everything we do you know it's surrounded in alcohol so unfortunately I didn't uh, learn my lesson in my early 20s and I went back to drinking and really the rest of my 20s then was just a series of attempts to moderate. I think after that time when I admitted it was a problem, I knew that, that I had a problem with alcohol, but I had this really egotistical idea that I was going to control this thing. You know, even though I, I, had, I proved to myself time and time again that that wasn't the case, I, you know, just kept telling myself, you know, I will moderate I, and I will do this. And I put loads of different rules in place. You know, I'd have like 
no wine on a night out and only a half a bottle here. But I mean, anybody who's tried to moderate knows it's just, it's a horrible, it's a horrible thing to do because it's just, it gets in onto your head, you know. But um, yeah, so most of my 20s then were spent, were spent trying to moderate. And sometimes I did it really well. Like I would have had maybe periods of time that went on for maybe a month or two when, you know, I would really have good control on my drinking. Um, alongside all of this, everything else was going really well for me. So like I said, I bought my own house in my early 20s. I had a stable job. I was working in banking at the time. I had my own side business as a, a fitness instructor. I, you know, I had a partner. I had lots of friends, a really good social life. Um, obviously, because of the, my, my business, I was fit. I ran. So on the outside, everything looked, you know, more or less perfect. But I knew inside that it wasn't because, you know, even then I knew that it wasn't normal to need to go home on a Wednesday or Thursday night and drink a whole bottle of wine, usually like on my own or, you know, something like that. So, um, you know, I, there were times when I successfully moderated, but I would say that any time there was any sort of stress in my life, I would drink more. And, and at those times I would recognize that, you know, this wasn't normal, that people you know, for most of the people I knew didn't have to do this to manage their, their stress and their anxiety. So I kept going. I kind of had this idea in my head that when I settled down and had kids, things would get better. Um, and that's not why I settled down. I, luckily for me, I met a fabulous man. Actually, we started going out with each other when we were 15, when I was 15. Um, and we had a few rocky years, but we did actually make it. And we got married in 2013. And I suppose after we got married in 2013, um, a lot of our other friends were getting married that year. So there was a lot of like, um, we call them hen parties. I think we call them bachelorette parties. There was a lot of parties that year. Um, Let's just say there was a lot of opportunities for me to prove to myself that I wasn't in control of my drinking. And I, I proved that to myself. So around the middle, I got married at the start of 2013. So around the middle of 2013, I started to really question my drinking and I actually took a three month break. I signed up to Hello Sunday morning and I took a three month break from alcohol. And, oh, but I really kind of did, you know, white knuckle it. I, I really felt hard done by when I stopped. And I, I, it was never my intention to quit completely. I was doing this as a kind of a reboot. And at the end, I would be a better drinker and I would moderate better. Um, but of course, and I did, I lasted, well, I think I lasted a week shy of the three months. And I think the first two times that I drank after that, I was fine. And I thought, this is it. Now I have it sussed. And then I think there was a wedding or something. And I just, you know, I was right back to where I had been beforehand. So I proved to myself fairly quickly that it wasn't going to work. And I, re- I think that's when I first started, was that when I first started to look online? It, it all gets a bit kind of fuzzy for me then, but I know I started to search online and I don't even know what I was searching for, but I know that I, I had this feeling of like, there must be other people out there like me. Um, and not that I thought I was this special flower, but I just thought I am not what I imagine I will find in, in, a, in a 12-step meeting. I don't know anybody who has gone to a 12-step meeting or quit alcohol at the stage that I'm at. But surely there are other people who feel the way I feel. So I started to look on the internet then. And I think I actually did come across either the Bubble Hour or one of the the more prominent blogs at that stage. And I think I was getting ready to really, you know, get my head into that space. I I hadn't stopped drinking at this stage, but I was getting ready to put my head into that space when 
I discovered that I was pregnant and I was absolutely delighted to be pregnant, but it just put all thoughts of doing anything about my drinking straight out of my head because now I had this, you know, this perfect excuse not to drink. Um, and I should say I did, I would have drank during my pregnancy in terms of I would have had what, you know, people say is the acceptable one glass of wine, but I, I would have always felt after the one glass of wine that wasn't enough and I would be like ready to go home as soon as my one glass of wine was gone but I did for the most part I didn't drink during my pregnancy and I totally let go of the idea of of needing to quit drink drinking completely and I was very lucky to have a really healthy pregnancy I I stayed um fit um throughout my pregnancy right up until my son was born I was I was physically active and I just had a lovely pregnancy lovely labor and then brought home this absolute tick the box baby who was just he he did everything he was supposed to do by I think he was about eight weeks old he was sleeping the night and I was in heaven I didn't have that experience that a lot of first-time mothers have um breastfeeding didn't go according to plan and I did cut that off at six weeks and back then I told myself it was because you know it was the best thing to do for him but I do see in hindsight that by about the five six week post um pregnancy mark I was really, really feeling the need to drink. And really, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm just over three years um, uh, three years of sobriety, and it's only these things are only starting to dawn on me now. When I look back and I think, why did I feel the need to drink in that stage when everything felt just fantastic? And now I realize I didn't even know how to deal with good feelings without alcohol. Like, I've been mm. aware since I quit drinking that I definitely used alcohol to deal with like anxiety and, and, and bad feelings but it just clicked with me recently I was using it to also deal with the good feelings too so um, if he was so I suppose what happened between I quit drinking when he was nine months old and between the time he was born and he was nine months I suppose we would have only had maybe four or five occasions where we went out for the night I'm very lucky I have a lot of support from um, both sides of our family so if we were on a night out, he would have been staying with, with one of uh, his grandparents. And all of the times that I went out after he was born turned into major blackout nights for me. Um, the drinking at home changed a little bit. My tolerance had lowered during pregnancy, so I now didn't need to drink a bottle of wine. But I slowly fell into the habit of drinking every night. So it would be two, maybe three glasses but it was every single night. And I can still I can still bring that feeling into me now of what it was like to need those glasses of wine so badly at the end of the day. And again, it wasn't that I was feeling overwhelmed by motherhood. I actually it was the first time in my life where I thought I was made for this. Now, I've since had a second child who is not a tick the box baby and I realised that I just got lucky with number one, but at the time <laughs> I felt like at the time I felt like I you know, I was I was getting this right. I was getting it right. Like I went back that's the other thing I should add, I suppose. Um because I'm self, I, I had left my job in banking just uh, after I got married um, to pursue a new career, but I kept my fitness business going. So I was self employed. So I actually went back to work um, as a fitness instructor and personal trainer when my son was six weeks old and then at nine weeks I was back to college so by the time he was nine weeks old I was doing all these other things as well as well as you know taking care of him like and you know I didn't have childminders or anything like that so I was doing all these things I was moving at a million miles an hour 
And when he was nine months old, I went out for a night. It was a bank holiday weekend here in Ireland. It was actually the May bank holiday weekend. And I went out for the night with a group of my friends, my very good friends. And so convinced was I that I was going to control my drinking that night that I actually said to my friend when we were drinking in her house beforehand, we were staying staying in her house because she lives in, in Dublin and I don't live in Dublin. I said to her, I might need a key because you know what, I might want to come home a little bit earlier than all of you, you know? And then fast forward three or four hours and they're having to put me in a taxi because I drank so much that I couldn't, you know, I just, I was just not able to continue the night. So needless to say, that didn't work out. But I just, I woke up the next morning um, in my friend's house and we were all, you know, we were all lying in bed like, like girls do, kind of giggling and that. But it, it just, it was not funny to me anymore. I remember getting up and going down to her bathroom and I just sat on the edge of her bath. There was a mirror straight across. I can still remember it. There was a mirror straight across from the edge of her bath and I just sat on the edge of her bath and I looked in the mirror and I think I was crying and I just remember thinking, I don't care what I have to do. I cannot do this anymore. And it was the greatest feeling of surrender. I I can't even describe how, how it felt, but it was just, I just surrendered and I knew I just knew that that morning when I woke up that nothing was going to change. Um, and like I said, we were very lucky that my father uh, went into recovery when we were very young. However, it did contribute to the breakdown of my parents' marriage and, you know, made life maybe, not that it made life, but life was, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't totally, um, I don't want to say stable because it wasn't an unstable upbringing at all, but it just made things a little bit more difficult. But I did have another family member who drank and actually continued to drink until, unfortunately, they, they, they passed away. And that did influence my childhood, too. And I remember that morning waking up and thinking, I have a chance here now to change the way my son's childhood will be. You know, and I, know, I knew clearly that in, that in that instant, in that morning, that if I didn't stop, I was going to bring the same sort of stress and anxiety on him caused by my drinking that, that other people had had maybe contributed to mine in, in my life. And that was it from there then. I just knew um, I had to stop. So I went home. I told my husband wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been an unusual thing for him to hear from me after a night out. I would often have said to him, that's it, I'm done. So I don't think, you know, I don't think he really thought that really was it. Um, he would not, he wouldn't have stopped me from drinking nobody in my life would have said I had to stop drinking my parents and my husband would probably have preferred if I didn't get as drunk as I did um, and they would definitely have preferred if I didn't suffer with the post with the post drinking anxiety because it really I mean it would take me out of the game sometimes like I would be unable to to, to be to function the next day um, so they definitely would have preferred if I drank less, but there was nobody in my life at that stage saying that I had to stop. But I told him, him that morning that I was going to stop. And, you know, I didn't know if he believed me, but I knew that I believed me. And it gets a little bit fuzzy after that. I mean, I definitely went search of the bubble hour um, because I remembered it being there. Um, I went and searched the bubble hour. I found the bubble hour. And then I think I went and found some of the blog posts that had been mentioned. Anyway, <laughs> the next week after I had decided that was it, we were booked, myself and my husband were booked to go to Las Vegas for four nights. 
So talk about, you know, <laughs> being up against being up against it from day one. But Vegas was Vegas was the one place that we hadn't got to go to before we had our son that we really wanted to go to. So my mother had said, No, no, go, we'll we look after him for the weekend and he you know, he loved staying with his grandparents, so that was fine. But like here I was, brand new newly sober and thinking, How am I going to get through Vegas? And I didn't want to cancel because, you know, we were really looking forward to getting away on our own. It was our first time away on our own since having our son. So I said, right, I'm going to do this. So I literally downloaded all of the episodes I possibly could of the Bubble Hour. I downloaded a couple of sobriety books onto my Kindle and we set up. And um, we, got to, we got to Vegas. What happened? Oh, yeah, we got to our hotel. And to be honest with you, I, I, I have not, would not have described myself throughout my life as a very kind of spiritual person. I'm not big into woo, although I have to say, you know, you know what I mean when I say woo, that kind of oh, yes. spiritual <laughs> side. But, but no, I, I, have, I have gone into it a little bit deeper in the last couple of years, but back then I wouldn't have been at all. But I couldn't deny some of the signs that I got in those early weeks when I quit drinking. Like, we arrived at our hotel, which was already a fairly fancy hotel. We had kind of splashed out. We signed in, or we were, we were checking in, and the woman said, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't have the room that you requested, but we do have a suite if you'd like us to upgrade you. And we were like, mm, yeah, please. So we ended up <laughs> in this suite with, like, a giant um, uh, jacuzzi bath. It had, like, four tellies, a massive bed, a conference room. Like, had I found Vegas really, really hard, I would never have had to leave this hotel room if I didn't want to. So I was being looked after from the very start. But as it turned out, you know, we're, we're big. Myself and my husband are foodies. And I should say at this stage, my husband is, he's a very much a, a normie. He's a take or leave it kind of drinker. He's well able to go out with, you know, with his, with the lads on it, like a, a bachelor party or something like that. But he's not, he, you know, he doesn't drink, really drink at home aside from the odd bottle of beer here or there. And that wouldn't bother me. So we got to Vegas and um, he was delighted, to be honest, because normally when we would go away like that, I would be badgering him to stay up late and have one more drink with me. And I'd always be making friends at the bar and he'd always be like, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, why can't we just go to bed? So he was delighted. We ate loads of food. There's actually lots to do in Vegas if you don't drink. Um, it's not nearly as... as um, alcogenic as I had thought it was going to be so we had a lovely time in Vegas but yeah while I was over there I got a re- it was actually good in a way because I got a really good chance to just immerse myself in all of the episodes and and start reading some books and get my head into the zone I was very lucky um I you know the pink cloud that people talk about was a big thing for me and it really it stayed with me I think for about six months because when I came home from Vegas I think two weeks after that, I had my best friend's um, bachelorette party and she, I was one of her bridesmaids. So I know people say, you know, in sobriety, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But there was no way I was not going to go to my best friend's bachelorette party. She means she's, you know, she's one of my best friends since, I, since we started school. Um, but I really felt, I mean, I really felt that pink cloud in the early days. I knew that I wasn't going to drink in those early days. And again, I got another kind of boost. We went out for the night and I was you know I was very nervous because I was thinking how am I going to get through all of this night with all of these people drinking and there was nobody else not drinking and at half 11 we went to what should have been our final club of the night they had a VIP area reserved for us there but when we got there the VIP area had had been let they had let it go because they thought we weren't coming so there was nowhere for us to sit and my best friend who was the bride-to-be said she turned around to our group of like 15 girls and said 
would you mind if we would would you all be really angry if we just went back to the hotel and and went to the bar there which was just a lovely comfy bar we went back there we had like like I think the rest of them probably did have alcoholic drinks but I had like a big hot chocolate and the barman made a big fuss of me like they gave me marshmallows and my hot chocolate and they brought us out like I I don't know if you know what crisp sandwiches are but they're a big thing here in Ireland they're like um potato crisp sandwiches but anyway the barman brought us out <laughs> loads of nibbles and we just had a lovely time it became a totally different night and again I thought you know that was somebody helping me because had I had to stay in that nightclub not that I feel like I would have drank but had I had to stay in that nightclub and continue to pretend like I was having a good time for another two hours it would have been torture but I continued on then listening so really I mean I would have to say in the early days I probably listen to a bubble hour episode every day and that's all I kind of did to start off with until I heard the episode with Megan Peters Megan from Crazy Bananas her first episode I think it was called Sober First actually and I had related to a good few people along the way um, like I could relate to you straight away but I and I related to a lot of people but I just something about Megan's story I totally related to it and I decided I think I was starting to feel at that stage that I needed more connection anyway. So I decided to email Megan and ask her about this online Facebook group that she had mentioned. And she got me into the online Facebook group. And really from there, it just, it was, it was fantastic from there because it was just, I could talk to people whenever I wanted. I was able to share my story. Um, I went in and like, there was nobody there from Ireland and there wasn't anybody there, anybody there from Ireland for a long time after that. But straight away, like, I connected with somebody in Toronto whose grandparents lived 10 minutes from me and she had spent, like, summers over here. And, I mean, I, I, Irish people are used to Americans or Canadians being like, oh, I have family in Ireland. But we're like, yeah, we don't know what, you know, we don't know them. But, like, I genuinely do. <laughs> do know this like I do know people belonging to her so that was kind of crazy that was kind of crazy wow. as well but uh, yeah and we met we met as she recovers last year so basically like I said I had the pink cloud for about six months um what happened really I suppose was I hit Christmas my first Christmas my son was no longer this little small baby who sat in one place smiling at me all day he started to enter into that kind of he was whatever he was 18 months and he he kind of got the early terrible twos and things just started to get a little bit harder and a little bit more stressful and I suppose the gloss was gone off the healthy living of being sober and I started to really resent having to be sober and I found from about December until about April or May I I found it really really tough I I would cry a lot I would I just found I felt like I was really really hard done by and thankfully that lifted and I I won't say that has not like that has come back to me maybe for a week or two at a time here or there probably not in the last eight or nine months but over over the three years that would hit me every so often and I would have a tough spell but you know I just that's just life you know life gets tough sometimes and, and we just have to learn how to deal with it um, I was. I found out I was pregnant with my daughter um, in at the beginning of that year. So I would have been would have been ten ten months pregnant, or sorry, ten months um, into sobriety when I found out was out I was pregnant with my daughter. So the next year was just kind of spent in this blur of babies, and the next year and a half really was spent in this blur of babies. And I, I kept in touch with the online group, and I I kept in touch with. Um, 
you know, anyone that I'd kind of met online throughout, but didn't really do anything actively to, to meet people um, in real life, even though I started to feel at that stage that I could really do with some real life connection. I went to a few 12 step meetings um, and it just didn't click for me. Um, and I haven't ruled them out. Like I'd never say I'd never go to one, but they just didn't feel like what I needed. Whereby, whereas when I went to, to, to New York, which I'll talk about in a minute, but when I went to New York last year and met all of the, the ladies from the she, from she Recovers, that really felt like, I think I was describing it to somebody recently, and I said it felt like just exhaling. It's like, this is where I belong. Um, but yeah, so when my daughter, actually, I think I was still pregnant with my daughter when She Recovers was announced, and I remember saying to my mother, or saying to, some, to my husband, I think it was, I was like, oh, that would be fantastic. I'd absolutely love to do that. But I was probably about nine months pregnant with my second child I had this two and a half year old and you know who, who did I think I was but it was then I think Dawn released it without releasing the date and it was when she released the date it was my the weekend of my second sobriety anniversary and when I said that to my mother she said you're go, you're going you're you have to go she said you've Aww. done all of this yeah, yeah. And my husband as well. They both said, no, we look after everything at home. Um, they said, you've done all this, you know, you've done this for the last uh, almost well, nearly two years at that stage. You know, without any real life support, it's time to, to do something like this. So I booked the tickets. You know, I didn't I didn't think too much about what it would be like to leave the kids. And, and to be honest, actually, I, I was fine. I was a little bit nervous, but I was fine. And, and off I went last May. Uh, so it was May two thousand and. 17 for anybody who's not um, who's not um, aware of the, the She Recovers New York conference. Off I went to New York for the weekend and, you know, I had this plan in my head going to New York that I would get there and I would go and get something to eat and then I would go to bed uh, nice and early so that I'd be nice and fresh for the, the next morning, you know. When I got there, I went down to, there was a burger place underneath the, the hotel and while I was in there, I, my, my reception was kind of coming and going on my phone, my connectivity. And I got a message from uh, one, of the, one of the ladies who I'd been in contact with on Instagram. And she said, we're something like, we're at the hotel. Where are you? And I couldn't reply to her. I was trying to reply, but my, my connection was gone. And next thing, the door of the burger place opened. And I think there was maybe seven or eight of you just walked in. And from there <laughs> on, it was just like... It, it was just like talking to people that you'd known all of your life. And like that, what did I go to bed early? No, we went uptown to, uh, where was it? It was a cake shop we went to. Serendipity and Cake Serendipity. Shop. <laughs> and which was quite an adventure because uh, the uh, president was in town that night. So all the right. streets were blocked off and it was a crazy adventure. <laughs> It was. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. But even like even the next day, I was like, oh, you know, I'm in New York for the weekend. While I had a couple of hours free, I was like, oh, I should really go uptown and see this and see that. Which I so I did. I got in the subway and I went uptown. And as I got out, like it was like the heavens opened. Like I'm from Ireland and it rains a lot here, but I have never in my life seen rain like the the, the amount that fell that day. And I, when I was leaving the hotel, women were like. Uh, honey, you know that it's raining, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm Irish. We're, we 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 do tourism in the rain. Like we we wouldn't leave our house if we didn't do things in the rain." But like she wasn't lying, it rained and rained. So I was like, "Right, that's a sign. I'm not supposed to be up here. Get back to the hotel. Get back to those women." And I didn't leave them for the rest of the weekend. And I just it was just absolutely fantastic for me. And I came home from that thinking, 
this is not right. I mean, I think I already knew that it wasn't right, that the only option for, for, for people in Ireland is, is 12 steps. There, are, there, was another, there is another type of meeting, but it's only held in one place. So it's in Dublin City and it's held in, in a psychiatric facility. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm this special flower. I, I am quite careful with the language I use around uh, sobriety and recovery, but that's just personal choice. Um, and I don't think I'm the special flower who doesn't need to be in meetings. It's just what I could find in Ireland wasn't what I was looking for. And I started to realize that there was probably this gap in what we provide for people in Ireland because generally people don't kind of choose sobriety at the stage that I do. I suppose you hear the terms like high bottom and high functioning. I don't, you know, if, if, those, if there are other people in Ireland who choose sobriety at that stage, I don't know them. And I don't know where they are. And if I can't find them, then I don't know how anybody else is going to find them because I'm always certain for things like this, you know. Um, so I, I, I came home from, from She Recovers thinking this, is, this has to change. I, for my own sanity, I need real life community. And I knew I, like, I don't, didn't feel like I needed to be at like daily or weekly meetings or anything like that. It was just, I thought it would be nice to know every month or six weeks that a group of us could kind of get together and, and chat and chat about the sort of challenges that we're coming up against exactly the way that we did in New York. So it, did, it took a few more months even from that point, but I did eventually set up my own um, blog. And I also, I kind of really said to, to other people in the online communities, look, if you come across Irish people, will you please make sure to let them know I'm here? And people in our online Facebook group started to do that. So as soon as somebody from Ireland appeared, they would be sent in my direction and we'd get chatting. And that, that was lovely because we were able to connect then in real life as well. So since then, we've had a couple of meetups and they've just exactly like in New York, we could stay there for hours talking. We oh. really could. But we are struggling to like, we're just struggling to let people know that we're here, you know, and 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 that's kind of what we're hoping to do over the next few months is try and spread the word. We're here. We're, I, I suppose I started the blog as my blog and realized very quickly that I didn't just want to write about my story because my story is only one story. And I, I think I remember you saying this before, but my circumstances were all very good for me when I stopped drinking. You know, I had a supportive family. Like it was, there was nobody telling me that, you know, some people were kind of questioning, they were saying, do you really need to stop altogether? But my, my immediate family were all very, very supportive. You know, I don't have major worries like food, shelter, that sort of thing. Um, the hardest part for me, I suppose, was, was dealing with early sobriety and motherhood. But I, I just feel like mine is only one story. And, and not to discount my story, but I want to share the story of, of other people as well. So I'm hoping maybe as we go on that it might become kind of a group blog and, and that as we meet more women, they, they'd like to share their stories as well. I know anonymity is still, a, you know, it's still a thing for a lot of women. And I totally understand that. Again, I was able to share my story because I... I have the support of my family, you know, other people don't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have that support. And there is still an awful lot of shame around um, alcohol dependency in Ireland and people don't really understand it and certainly don't understand the sort of dependency that I'm talking about. I suppose I describe my dependency as, as psych it was psychological dependency rather than physical dependency. So yeah, so that's where I'm at at the minute. I'm kind of trying to find, we're trying to find our, our people and we're hoping there's more of us out there. Oh, I know there is, and I know they're listening. So I'm excited to think that this conversation we're having will be for sure reaching 
a few, yes. a, a lot, women in Ireland um, uh, are are going to be able to hear this and know that there's a movement afoot. Mm-hmm. And I guess what excites me is that this is sort of the thin edge of the wedge. Like once people start talking, um, mm-hmm the shame starts to get erased and the stigma starts to get lifted. And as you say, then people start to step up out of the shadows and say, and have that, um, yep, I'm here, I'm here. And I'm not ashamed to connect with other people. And, but someone has to start it and mm-hmm. um, be the first one. So I'm really excited for what's possible yeah. for you. Yeah. And, well, uh, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I can talk about it because I, I mean, maybe, certainly in the first year, I can't say that I was without shame, but I am without shame now, and I have no problem talking about it because, like you know, like a lot of guests on your on your podcast have pointed out, there is no shame in becoming dependent on a, an addictive substance, you know. And I suppose I just have this idea in my head. Again, I don't think we're these special flowers, but I would love to be meeting these women at yoga, at you know, for coffee and nice food, not hiding in. I don't mean hiding because I don't want to put down other other groups, but I don't want to be to be to be hiding in a in a dark hall or in a, in a psychiatric hospital. I want to go to lovely places with with these women and and feel like we're not we're not shameful, you know. Do you feel, Brie, that women need a sort of some different options in recovery? Is that really what you're talking about? Is that that Absolutely. the choices you want some choices? Um, because I would never because... have. Yeah. I feel like if we, the earlier we seek recovery, the more choices we have, right? (laughs) Um, And and because the information, if we have the information there for people, they can seek recovery earlier and not hit that low bottom, but then that allows them to have options. Yeah. Where And so it's lovely that you want to create them. I think that's exciting. Mm -hmm. So, um, you met Megan Peters in New York, did you not? I did. I did. Yeah. I assumed she was walking in um, as I was sitting in the lobby and I couldn't control myself. I should have probably been a little bit more, um, I, I don't know, stood back a little bit, but I pretty much ran to her and I was like, you're Megan. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but no, she was lovely. We had a lovely, uh, lovely chat over the weekend. So we did. Um, and I, I think a lot of us felt that way with Megan. She's very identifiable because she she is quite open about recovery. So we all sort of knew her picture from Facebook. Mm-hmm. And she's been on the Bubble Hour a few times. But she's this tall, willowy, lovely young woman with sort of yes. long, strawberry blonde hair. And she's just like yes. a magnet. I, I did the same thing. Yes. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and the same with you. I, I just, it's, there's something that's so... Um, shiny and alive oh. about this sisterhood, I feel like. And it, is, um, yeah. it really, it, I think we're really drawn to each other, but even I, I can see, I, I remember looking at other women, you know, before I quit drinking and thinking, I want what she has. How do I get that? What does, what is that thing that that person has? And so to be in a, in a group of, of people, but, you know, we're talking about women's groups, but really I'm, it's the same in any group, really. When, when you're around people that have that, you sort of, your soul sort of clicks with it. And it's really. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I talk back to New York, I, I got that feeling very strongly with Megan, with you and with Kelly, you know, our, our mutual friend, Kelly, just that feeling of that exactly. You've hit the nail on the head. I want what they have. That was that feeling that I got when I was there. 
And Kelly, whom you're speaking of, that would be Kelly Beck, and she's a recovery coach who has been on the bubble hour. Mm, she is season five, episode two. <laughs> I'm just looking back. Very good. <laughs> and um, she, yeah, she's a real warm, lovely woman as well. And yeah, it's exciting to. And here's the thing. Um, I sort of feel in a way, I, if, if I'd have heard a podcast like this when I was early in recovery and thinking like, oh, nice for you, you have friends. How do I get them? This is how you get them. You you yes. get connected and you get involved. You search, you go on blogs, you comment on blogs, you get involved in online groups and online communities. And before you know it, um, the opportunities do start to come your way. Even I'm in Alberta, Canada. You're in Ireland. I mean, we're pretty isolated in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, compared to someone who's in New York or in California where there's just like every variety. I mean, there's, you could, you could find 10 different meetings a day uh, in LA or, you know, but, um, but those of us that are a little more isolated, we can make these connections. The opportunities are there and it's, it's pretty exciting. So I want to talk about what your toolbox looks like now. Um, Mm -hmm. Things have changed. So you've got three years of sobriety now. Congratulations. And you're in a different stage of life. So you're now, you know, three years older and you have two children. And so life has moved along. Your recovery has moved along. What does it look like for you now? Um, I suppose from, yeah, and it has, it really has been a progressive thing. I tried to live my life pretty much the exact same way um, when I quit drinking, first of all. Now, trying sobriety or entering sobriety in early motherhood like I did, obviously comes with its challenges particularly when you hit that kind of terrible two stage but it also came with the advantage that I had a a very easy get out clause when it came to to going out and doing things I could always say I couldn't because of my son so I um in the early days I did still try to go out a good bit but I did maybe opt out of things I felt I wasn't really strong enough for really for me it was about learning and it didn't come until god year two maybe year two and a half I, it was about what I, I had to take away nearly than what I had to add. I mean, I was moving at the speed of lightning when I drank. And that's, you know, it was only because of wine that I was able to do that. So for me, it was about learning to slow down. And, and I see now very clearly, I was trying to prove myself in, in doing all of the things that I was doing, you know, because I knew that I had this problem. And I just thought, if I stay moving really, really quickly, you know, maybe maybe this will be okay. So I had to, to slow down a lot. It started for me with, uh, work I changed the way I work I actually took my business online and I stopped going out every evening Um, I started to slow down in the evenings and I mean I was actually already in the process of doing that to my business before I quit drinking so it's a massive massive blessing that I did quit drinking because one of the saving graces for me was that I was always out working teaching fitness classes and, and personal training clients until maybe half nine most nights so my drinking didn't start really till 10 o'clock had I done that, changed my business and not be going out in the evening and nighttime before I quit drinking, it could have gone terribly wrong. Now, I don't know. I always say I don't know what way my drinking would have gone. Maybe it would have stayed that same level of just uh, forever. But I fear that now that I know the pressures of motherhood, I fear that had I been at home in, earlier in the day, it could have got messy. But so my tools really were peeling back this this list of things I had to do Um on on a daily basis um 
I I started to say no to things. I started to um with uh, one big area for me actually was exercise because while I was drinking, I I mean I was running. I never ran a marathon, but I was running like half marathons. I was lifting weights. I was doing all of the really really full scale sort of um heavy duty exercise. So I very slowly and uh. It took me a while to get into the headspace, but I, I did start to go to yoga. And yoga is something that I'm not trained in. So it was great for me. It was great for me to go to a class where somebody else is in charge. So I started mm. to go to yoga. Um, sleep became a big thing for me. I was lucky. Uh, sleep came for me and and it never really, other than when the kids were, were, were small and they interrupted my sleep, obviously, um, it, it was never an issue for me. So I would sleep as much as I could. Food was a thing for me for a while. I, I really did allow myself in the early days. And even now when, when I'm very stressed, I will allow myself to, to kind of use food as my, my way of checking out. But um, So I was good to myself in terms of food in the early days. Like I would find on Friday or Saturday night, I would really need to have the ice cream and I would need to have, I didn't ever really get into fizzy drinks, but I'd need a bit of chocolate and stuff like that um, just to get through those hours on a Friday or Saturday night. I suppose really when it came to the kids, I I totally embraced all of the help that I was given. So anytime anybody asked me asked me if I needed help with the kids, I took it because I realised that was probably one of the biggest tools that was going to help me was time on my own, um and and space to breathe. Um, I'm still to be honest, I'm still working on my tools because I'm still studying towards my new career. So things can get very very busy for me and. I can kind of forget that there are tools at all and just totally go into that that workaholic state of mind. Um, and after, when I'm qualified and things slow down, I do know that I have more work to do because I'm still not happy that I know how to kind of um, sit still and be with myself. And that's okay because I think if I had tried to do too much kind of... Um, self-work or personal you know personal development over the last couple of years it could have gone really wrong for me because I do have these two small babies to look after and if I open a can of worms I have to be careful that I have the space and energy to deal with those can of worms if you know what I mean because Mm -hmm. it's all well and good dealing with our problems but if we really don't have the space then we kind of get caught in our problems and that has happened to me I mean I've I've recognized basically you know the big question for me was why did I drink like that and I believe that it's a, it's, I definitely believe that it's a combination of factors. I do think genetics are in there, but I don't think they're the only reason. Um, I do think life experience. So for me, I can definitely identify that I was probably had this kind of low level anxiety all of my life. Um, where that came from, I don't know. I could guess at a few of the sources, but I, you know, I never know. So there's no point in dwelling on that. Uh, but it was low level anxiety. So I have, you know, I have done some work on that. I, I got um, cognitive behavioral therapy and I read a lot around anxiety and reducing anxiety. And I mean, I've made huge, huge improvements on that, but still I have work to do. Um, but like I said, I just feel like I've possibly put it on pause for now and I might delve a bit deeper next year when I'm, when I'm qualified and I'm not kind of, there's not so many things for me to be doing on a daily basis. You know, I'm surprised in all the interviews I've done, this is something that I don't recall ever coming up before, and it's a really good point, is that we do have to make sure that we have the right timing for the level of recovery that we're 
entering into and um, that we don't have to fix it all at once. I mean, we can be actively being good to ourselves and gentle with ourselves and improving um, our take on life and how we approach things, but know that there's time to, Mm -hmm. to wait on some things that you know are going to be a little bit more demanding. Is there a part of you that looks forward to being able to, open that can of worms when the time is right or are you dreading it how do you feel about it no no I'm looking forward to it because I definitely feel more confident now I mean it would it, I think at this stage it, it feels like since I've kind of since Christmas I have this feeling of that I didn't really ever know myself because particularly like when you start drinking in your early teens you don't get a chance to know yourself because you I became this sort of person who kind of molded into what other people expected of me or other people thought I was. And I don't think I ever really developed the sense of who I am. But that's, that's really the work that I feel now, because I do feel that when I have a better sense of who I am, anxiety won't be an issue for, or not that it won't be an issue. I think it'll always be something that I'll have to be aware of. But I do think that anxiety, that anxiety will lessen when I'm feeling more confident in who I am. So no, I am, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, like I said, yoga has become a, a big thing for me and I'm looking forward to, to, uh, deepening my practice with yoga you know my, my my evenings are limited if I get out to yoga once or twice a week I'm lucky so that's the sort of thing I'm looking forward to when I have a bit more time you know slowing down and doing things like that that things that will allow me to to discover who I am um a bit better you know it's interesting to me to hear your description of yourself as being that sort of overachiever and approval junkie because that really is my story too even though I was in mm-hmm. my 40s when I quit drinking you were in your 20s when you quit drinking right 29 you were and and, um, so I was at a different stage of life and my kids were sort of grown and leaving the house and yet um, I can really just hear how I was I had stayed stuck in an old pattern that probably started manifesting in childhood and teenage years that worked for me and Mm -hmm. you know I just it just sort of kept snowballing and snowballing but it also just looked so good on the outside and and yielded great results (laughs) that I kept going. Uh, So it really, it really resonates with me when you talk about that. And ironically, I have found yoga is really helpful too, because, because of the ability to just slow down and learn to be with yourself. And I'm really finding it lovely now that I'm in my fifties and sort of starting this whole nother stage of life that I think, boy, it would be really awful at this stage, if I couldn't be alone with myself, because I'm kind of in the stage of life of slowing down and getting better. And, and um, it's just, it's just such a gift, I guess, to, to be able to do that now and to find that thing that I not only didn't want for, I didn't value it. I really thought there was something wrong with people that admitted they had anxiety and that did yoga and stuff. Like I just thought they needed to hustle a little harder. <laughs> so Absolutely. I'm assuming your, your whole perspective has changed. I, I'm assuming um, not only okay. for yourself, but for the world around you, do you feel that change? Absolutely. And I'd say I'm probably parenting very differently to what I would have done if, if I hadn't changed my perspective too. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I should say I'm, very very lucky because even though my husband didn't go into this you know he didn't go into sobriety with me he is of a very similar mindset and you know he would probably have 
been in that mindset and I'd have been over here in this space of we need to do, we need to go, we need to create, we need, to, you know, I just, everything had to be bigger and better all of the time. And, you know, I'm just so glad that I get to, you know, slow everything down and just actually really enjoy things for what they are now. Ah, well, this is just a wonderful point to, to bring our conversation to wrap it up, um, just to hear that things are going so well now and, and that you're uh, looking forward to a lifetime of recovery and to building a community mm-hmm. of recovery around you is, is exciting. And I know you're going to do big things. Um, not too big because, you, you know, you got to look after no. yourself. <laughs> Uh, I I really believe that this is the start of a of a great uh, time of change and opportunity for the women in your community. So I'm really excited for you. Um, so before we go, so tell me how women can find you and connect and learn about what you are doing around you. Yeah. So I um, my blog is called Me Living Free. Dot IE. So that's dot .ie is, is, is an Irish um, web domain. So it's me living free dot IE. You can find me there. I have a contact me page there. And I'm also on Instagram as me living free dot IE as well. You have to use the dot IE for Instagram. So I'm not on Facebook yet. I'm just trying to like that. I'm trying not to overload myself with platforms that I have to be looking after when I don't really have the time. So I'm just on Instagram for now. Um, and like I said, we have a pri- we actually have a private Facebook group now ourselves, our group of Irish women. Um, so people can request to join that. Uh, we- sorry, we- I have to say, women can request to join that. Um, they don't. They can do you know what other women would do in our our other online community. They don't have to use their own your, their own name or anything like that. They can use a, a, an anonymous profile if they prefer. Because you know this is a small country, and I know it's daunting for people to maybe enter a group like that you know, worrying, will they know somebody else in there, you know? Uh, and sometimes people start with a, with a uh, different profile and then as time goes on, they feel more comfortable and they say, I'm going to put my picture on it. I'm going to use my real name exactly. because we want, exactly. we get to a point where we're ready to reveal ourselves exactly. to our friends. And, and that's an exciting stage too, but it's always safe to start um, from a little bit farther back if that feels right too. I like that you, let people do that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. It is so good to hear your voice. And thank um, you. I'm really grateful for you. We've managed to navigate the time difference between our countries mm-hmm. and uh, the technology to connect. So I'm excited about all of that. And before we go, I just wonder if you have any sort of last words of encouragement or insight for our listeners, for anyone who's struggling or trying to find the the energy to get started today i just say you know don't don't worry about the language you know you don't have to call yourself anything you don't want to call yourself um and don't think about how bad it needs to be you know there's a, i think it's an al-anon thing that says um it's it's uh, a problem is a problem you know it's a problem when it's a problem for you and that's all it needs to be it just needs to be a problem for you and I, I love when the, a lot of people in the recovery circles talk about how don't think about whether your things are bad enough. Think about whether life would be better without alcohol. And I can 100% say it is. It's, it's not been easy. There's no doubt about it. There's been lots of bumps in the road, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's the best thing I've ever done. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Brie Miguel from me, living free dot IE. And, um, 
if you want to send an email to me that I can forward on to Breed, you can do it that way as well. So my email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. Uh, or you can connect uh, through Facebook at The Bubble Hour or at Unpickled. Send me a message. And if you want me to pass something on to Breed, I'd be more than happy to do that. So it's been great talking to you. And listeners, it's been great being back for another episode of The Bubble Hour. That's it for tonight, everyone. Until next time, please take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame Right behind We think you're strong Thank you.